Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Hey, good morning, guys. Good to see you. Uh, welcome. Uh, I'm glad you're, you're here with us in the bird, or if you're joining us online, I'm glad you're, glad you're with us. Uh, I'm going to talk about spiritual realities today, and there's a lot of stuff we may get into that you may have questions about. And if you have questions, I want to give you the opportunity. We'll have a number up on the screen. You can text in your questions, and at the end of the message today, I will do my best to answer them. If we have questions come in, I will answer them here from the stage. Uh, one of the ways we're trying to make this all more interactive for you, so... Uh, uh, we can socially distance and still text questions, I guess, or whatever. So let's, let's do that. But I want to talk about um, spiritual realities and really a map of the spiritual world. I want you to imagine that you lived 500 years ago. So let's put ourselves in like 1520. Um, and so you're probably not living in this country. Let's just say in the Western world. Where, let's say we're, we're in England. What would you be doing? How would you be living if you lived, say, in England 500 years ago? Well, maybe you likely in an agriculture sort of agrarian society, you'd be a farmer of some sort, let's say. So just imagine the scene. This is what your life is like. Actually, that looks really good right now. Uh, I, I, I might take that over 2020, actually. That, I, I could probably get into that. So you live in this, you know, these fields and you're farming and I'm sure that's very hard and, and, and all of that, but you're doing that thing. What, what would your worldview have been? What would your worldview have been back 500 years ago? Well, the reality is, for most people in the Western world at that time, you would have seen the world as being very spiritual. You would have believed in God. You wouldn't have been like, oh, there's no such thing as God and I can prove it. That's not really much of a thing. You would believe in God and you would believe in things like demonic things and angels and you would believe in a spiritual side of things. You might even be open to like the spiritual, mystical, like elves and fairies and all that kind of thing. But you would see a spiritual side to all sorts of things that happened. When the sun was good and you had a good crop yield, you would praise God for that. You'd say, oh, God gave me good crops. When things didn't go well with the crops, you might say that Satan has come in and destroyed your crops or something like that. You would see a spiritual solution or a spiritual aspect of almost all of your life. Now, there's some good and bad with that. Maybe on the bad side of that, maybe you would over-spiritualize things. So if, if, if a girl had epilepsy or something, you might say she's a witch and want to burn her, right? You go, okay, that's a, little, that's a little much. Or if a boy, a boy got the flu, you might say he's demon-possessed or something like that. Like, okay, maybe we overemphasize the spiritual, but that would have been kind of the general worldview about 500 or so years ago. Uh, now, contrast that with today. What is the general worldview of, just say, modern, modern Americans? Now, it's, it's a little hard to generalize this completely, but um, on the whole, Americans are a lot more secular than that, that we don't see everything in spiritual terms. What we value and what we have is science. So science is our jam. We value the things that are empirical that you can test with your five senses, and we give and accept scientific solutions for almost everything that happens in the world, basically everything that happens. So we, and, and, and that's okay. We don't need supernatural 
or spiritual explanations for everything that happens. It, you know, water falls downward, and I'm okay with the explanation as a Christian. I'm fine with the explanation that gravity is doing its thing. Like, no, no problem for a lot of scientific explanations for a lot of things that happen. Um, but I... But I, do, but I do wonder if we're missing something about the supernatural world in our, in our reliance on the natural world in our, in our modern context. Now, the natural world is great, and science is great, and it's gotten us a lot of great things. Science has delivered us things like iPhones. Like, that's great. I'm a fan. I'm, a, I'm okay with those things. However, I just wonder if we're missing something. I wonder if in the 500 years when everything was spiritual to the modern day where hardly anything is, I wonder if there's a space there that we're missing, that we're undervaluing the spiritual dimension to the world that we live in and overvaluing the empirical, naturalistic, scientific explanation for everything that we experience. And so I want to give you a map of the spiritual world as the scripture explains it and kind of lays it out for us and talk to you about what are the spiritual realities that are out there? Because I think it, in, in as much as we love science, and as much as we are sort of in that empirical, modern, rationalist, post-enlightenment world that we live in now, I think that the supernatural, uh, that stuff keeps sort of like nagging us, right? It keeps like breaking in in our world. Uh, you, you, we almost, we almost can't, can't avoid it. Um, it keeps sort of dropping hints that there's something else going on besides the natural world. And we, we celebrate this in shows and in movies, right? How many, how many TV shows are about ghost hunting or about the paranormal or psychic or any of that kind of stuff or the occult? or how many, There's a show called Lucifer. Like we're into, we're into this idea that there's these supernatural beings in the world. Um, and, uh, we, we think there's something out there. We, we agree with Hamlet who said to Horatio that Shakespeare had Hamlet say to Horatio, there are more things in heaven and on earth that are dreamt of in your philosophy, Horatio. We, we believe that. Like, man, there's something else going on here even though science explains most, it seems to explain most of what's going on. So we're in a series right now called Off Track on Purpose. And the idea is that there's a track of belief there's a system of belief that most of Americans kind of generally believe. And as followers of Jesus, there are things you are going to believe and there's things that we should do that will actually pull you off of that track. You will be weird. You will be different. And that's okay. It's okay to have a different worldview than kind of mainstream America. And so we're talking about those different kinds of things and ways that we can be off of the track of culture and to do it on purpose. And one of the ways we're off track is in our beliefs about the supernatural world. Now, Christians um, don't have to get medieval and say that everything that happens at all times, there's, a, you know, there's, there's like angelic forces around every single thing that happens. We can accept the gravity making the waterfall and all those sorts of things. Um, but we do believe that this is a God-drenched world. And there are spiritual realities, even right now as we sit in this room, there are things going on around us, and we want to talk about those. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he points them at the end of his letter. He's gone through uh, the gospel and what it means. We, we actually went through a lot of F, uh, the book of Ephesians. We went through a lot of it in our previous series. But towards the end of the book, he sort of sums up as he's given some practical applications uh, in, 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 uh, he kinda, in the closing here of the book in Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to what he says. You, you may have read this before or heard this. It's Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start with verse 10. It's up on the screen. 
He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, he mentions the devil. We'll get to him in a minute. But if you've grown up in church, you've probably read that before. If you went to VBS as a child or you've put your child in VBS as an adult, uh, there's a good chance that they came home wearing armor or they had to wear armor at some point and there was this little like Roman soldier and there's like cartoonish figures with a sword and a shield and, and the whole VBS week went through all the armor. I'm not going to get into all of that, the shield of all the all those things, the belt and the breastplate and all those things that they talk about. We don't need to do that. But that's where this will eventually go, this text goes. And, and, and Paul is saying, you're going to need to armor up because of the fight that you're actually in in this world. You think you're in a fight uh, of one type, but it's actually a very different kind of thing. In verse 12, the next verse, he says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, this is, this is where it goes way off track of our culture. Paul says, you know the struggles you're having, the things you're wrestling against, you know the things that you think are bad? They may be bad, but what's really going on is there's spiritual forces, there's actual evil in the world. There's darkness. There's rulers over this present darkness he's talking about. And he said, that is what, where your actual struggle is. This is the stuff that you're wrestling against, not just against physical things. Your struggles aren't just flesh and blood. It's not just with people. You think the biggest struggle in your life is with your ex. It's not with your ex. You think it, the biggest struggle of your life is with your kids. It's not with your kids. You think the biggest struggle of your life is with your mean boss. It's not with your mean boss. You think the biggest struggle of your life is your mother-in-law. It's not your mother-in-law. Paul says, those may be things, but the biggest struggle that you're actually up against is a spiritual one. There's, you're wrestling not just against flesh and blood. There are powers at work, um, and there's evil behind things. Now, we sort of joke about that now. Like, if you, if you do something you shouldn't do, Right? And you know it. You might say, oh, the devil made me do it. Right? Oh, the devil made me do it. Or if your toddler is melting down, you might talk about him as demon spawn. Something like that. Like, you know, this kid is, oh, whoa, he's possessed. Like, I thought his head just spun around. Like, we, we joke about demonic or evil forces behind our actions. Or we might say something like, oh, the devil's in the details, right? There are, um, but, but Paul is clear here. There actually are bad things in society, and there is evil, real evil, dark forces behind those things. He even mentions the devil. Satan has influence. Um, Paul, Paul is pointing this to a, a, a truth of the world that, that really... That really goes, go, goes way back. That there's an unresolved problem in the universe. Ever since the Garden of Eden, there has been a rift between God and man. And there's been a, this, this divide between good and evil. There's been, a lot of stuff has been going on. And ever since then, things have sort of gotten off track as, as, as the world. Uh, the, the world is being influenced by evil forces. Paul talks about that. He's pointing us to that. Now, this, this should be the easiest thing for me to prove to you. Like, 
If, if I wanted to prove to you the existence of good in the world, that's harder, right? Like, we go, oh, you know, there's, there's good, and people are generally good, and they're just kind and all that. Like, that's a little harder to prove. Or to say God exists, that's harder to prove, right? But if I want to say to you evil exists, I think most everybody would be like, yep. Like, just read your feed. Look, up, look, look, you, you don't have to look that long. Like, read the paper, read the websites, read the blog, watch the news, what, read your Twitter feed. Evil exists. There's definitely some dark stuff out there. There's violence. There's pain. And I'm not just talking about crimes of passion. I'm talking about premeditated murder and evil and, and, and just brokenness, where you, where you look at it and you go, how could a human being do that to another human being? There's got to be something just wicked here. Something evil is going on here. Um, even, even in our country, I, I think evil is, is present, you know, in a, in a, in a developed world, right? You know, uh, there's still evidence of, of evil. Where does that come from? Paul says that comes from Satan. Now, Satan has a lot of different names. Uh, Lucifer, the devil, the scripture, uh, I wrote down a couple, the, the, the scripture says Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the evil one, the tempter, the deceiver, the adversary, the prince of darkness. Um, who is he? Well, Scripture tells us he's a fallen angel. So he was at one point an angel, a, a being. We'll get into angels in a minute. Uh, a fallen angel. He was an archangel, so it's a, a powerful kind of angel. And he rebelled against God. He was given free will, and he rebelled along with some other angels, and they removed themselves from God and, and his rule um, in, in some way. Um, is, Satan is not all-powerful. Uh, the scripture is clear that uh, he's not all powerful and like a completely equal opposite to God. God is God is all powerful. Satan has some power for a time being. Um, God or Satan is not the evil twin brother of Jesus. Um, uh, if you think that's weird, or if you're like, who believes that? You haven't dug into Mormonism far enough. But it, so I'll just say he is not the evil twin brother of Jesus. It's not like Jesus and his brother or Lucifer. It doesn't work that way. Um, we do not believe in this total dualist idea that there's good and evil and that they're completely equals. That God is over here, Satan's over here, and they're fighting and they're they're, they're total they're total equals. Um, God is much more powerful than Satan, but he allowed Satan to have free will, and and Satan chose to rebel as often we rebel. Um, so we need to take Satan, uh, the devil, Lucifer, we need to take him seriously um, because he destroys people's lives. And you see that over and over in our culture. Let me just give you four uh, ideas. Uh, uh, let me just give you uh, three ideas about, about Satan um, so that you can kind of understand a little bit of the background. Number one, he's a murderer. He is a murderer. John chapter 8, Jesus speaks about Satan this way. John 8, verse 44. We'll put it up on the screen. He's talking to some people. He says, you are, you're, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was, talking about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's why we need to take Satan seriously, because Jesus takes him seriously. That's, that's some pretty harsh talk, right? He's like, this is, this is who he is. He's a murderer. He's this father of lies. You, you look at the Garden of Eden, as soon as Satan shows up, 
in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve sin, and right after that, they have children, Cain and Abel, one of which kills the other. Murder enters the scene fairly quickly in, in human history. And when we see murder, we can be sure that Satan's behind it. And not just, you know, like you say, the crimes of passion kind of stuff. I'm talking about Virginia Tech. I'm talking about Newtown. Uh, I'm, uh, these, these kind of things. Like, there's something satanic behind that, uh, that this, this widespread evil, because he's a, he's a murderer. Um, scripture also says he's a liar. This is what Jesus just said about him. He's a liar. Jesus basically talks about it this way, like, hey, when Satan lies, he's speaking his native tongue. That is where he's coming from, and he's trying to um, deceive us. The, the word devil comes from the word diabolos, which means like slanderer or, or accuser, this idea that he's bringing these false accusations and lying to us. Um, what are the lies that Satan likes to tell us? Well, I suppose uh, the lies he has told culture may be a little different than ones you've picked up yourself along the way. But I think the biggest lie that Satan tells really is that bad is good, and that good is actually bad. That to be good is no fun and not desirable, and that to be bad, to do the bad thing, that's actually what you, you want to do. I think that's maybe the, the biggest lie Satan tells, that bad is good, that, that wrong is right, that false is true, that harmful is actually healthy, that immoral is kind of moral, that cruel is kind, that unjust is just. It is a distortion. and In many cases, it, it's taking the truth and just giving us the complete opposite of, a, of it. Um, now, uh, lest you, I sound like one of those cranky uh, you know, you kids get off my lawn kind of people, um, which I may sound like here. Um, I, I, I really want to say this. Um, I, I think we are being surrounded by a stream of lies in our culture right now. And that's been going on for a long time. I mean, obviously, uh, maybe social media and some other things have, have exacerbated that. But uh, it is just a relentless stream of lies about the good life, about what purpose is, what life is about, about what is good to do, what is not good to do. There's just a relentless stream of lies in our culture. And, and it infects us because those lies are told in such a sweet way. They're told so well. Um, you know, a lie told by a jerk, you know, like if, if someone's mean and they lie to you, go, there. that's a mean person and they're a liar. That's fine. That's not the lies you believe. The lies you believe are the ones that are told sweetly by beautiful people, where, where it's like, oh, that, that sounds good. Oh, that, that tweet was so well worded. Oh, that blog post really spoke to me. Oh, you know, it, it's, it's things that sound good that are the things that end up de- deceiving us because they're actually not good. They just make us feel something, and so we kind of go along with it. And I think there's a ton of that in our culture. We don't recognize the lies as lies, partly because we don't have a standard of truth to measure them by. It's hard to recognize a crooked line if you've never seen a straight line. And that's kind of where we're at as a culture. We have no standard of truth, and so when the lies come, it's a little bit difficult to say that they're lies because we're kind of swimming in that, and we don't really have a, this is the clear truth. I think Satan's greatest deception maybe in America is to, to get us to believe that all truth is relative. 
It's, it's a way to kind of move the bar on truth and lies. All truth is relative. There is no objective truth except for the objective truth that there is no objective truth. We'll, we'll allow that one. But everything else, no, you can't, you know, there's nothing that you can really hold on to. That's kind of the, the, the current, the track that we're on, the water that we're swimming in right now as a culture. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's, it's dangerous. And so we need to recognize um, that we're being lied to. And it doesn't matter if we're being lied to in a really clever movie or a song lyric that's so catchy or a blog post that really got you. Um, we need to recognize that it still lies. And it's happening, unfortunately, it's happening in the church too. There's a lot of people who are using Christian language and sound true, sound like they're dialed into the orthodox faith of that, that has stood the test of time, the historic Christian tradition. There's people who use words like faith and hope and love and, and grace and all those things, but they end up meaning very different things, and they're leading a lot of people astray. I could, I could name a bunch of authors for you that I think are, are doing it. Uh, one, one I've noticed a lot is Richard Rohr, uh, who uh, maybe some of you in this room like him, I don't know, but I, I see him using words in, in a different way than what they historically have meant. And a lot of people gra- gravitate towards it and they go like, oh, I, oh, that's really good, I like that. And it's, it's, not, that it's, uh, it's not that it's wicked, it is, it is off track. And off track not in a good way. Um, it's, it, and so I think the challenge for followers of Christ is not to discern good from bad, uh, true from false. Sometimes if those things are presented that way, it's easy to discern. The real challenge is to discern true from kind of true. True from almost right. That's discernment. But to do that, we have to be dialed into Scripture and know, because Satan is clever, and he's going to lie, and he's going to tell us some things that are true-ish to get us, to get us off course. So uh, Satan is a murderer, he's a liar, and last, he's a destroyer. Uh, there's a parable that Jesus tells about a sower with some seed, and he puts the seed out, on, and, and the seed lands in different places, in thorny soil and in good soil, and then the, 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 the plant grows in some places, and in some places it doesn't. And after he tells that parable, he interprets it for his, his listeners, for the disciples who are around him, and he tells them what it means, and listen to what he says, Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they may not believe and be saved. This is what Satan's trying to do. We are supposed to know the word of God and be planted in it so that it grows in our hearts and that we grow in our faith. And Satan wants to destroy that dynamic. He wants to take that away so that we, so that we, so we don't grow, so that our, our, our faith doesn't develop. He is the destroyer. Convincing you that, this, that Satan is the destroyer, I, I feel like that's gotten easier this year. Like when you watch cities burn, when you watch people rip things apart, it's not hard to believe that behind that there's someone or some force that wants to destroy. Yes, there have been peaceful protests, and there's also been ridiculous rioting. Both of those things have happened in our country this year. And, and, and I don't mean to be overly dramatic when I say I think it's satanic. I think there is an evil force in the world behind those things. 
Satan is a destroyer. And it's not just when cities burn. It's personal life. If you, if you work in the church or you, you connect with people, you get in a small group, you get to know people or whatever, what you see is Satan wreaks havoc on relationships. Uh, porn, destroying marriages, uh, lies being told between people that rip things apart, gossip, all, all of the ways that, that we start to see relationships erode. Satan is behind those things. Satan or his, his demons. Demons would be the group of, of angels that fell with Satan that are kind of doing, doing his work. Um, now, uh, when, when I talk about demons, uh, I think in America we get a little bit like, um, kind of like with the devil, sort of the pointy, hair, pointy head and, the, and the, the little fork tail kind of thing. And, and we think about demons kind of in that very cartoonish, almost Dante's Inferno kind of way. Um, but I, I think there is demonic influence in our culture. Um, you, you see it less so, it's less overt, I think, in America than it is in some other countries. I had a, I had a friend who, was a, a, who worked for years in inner city Brazil, and demonic possession of people was something he dealt with every week. It was real. He had story after story to tell me of things that he experienced that you would go, well, that's very different, right? Um, you hear less of that in our country, and I think maybe because Satan doesn't need that to distract people here. Um, demonic possession maybe is, is less needed in, in our culture. Um, but we have to believe in demons because Jesus believed in demons. Um, and it's interesting uh, how, how Jesus sort of speaks about spiritual forces. Because if we're going to take him seriously, we need to take seriously the things he took seriously. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified... Um, the situation happens where, where Peter, being a hothead, one of Jesus' closest followers, he grabs a sword and he swings and he cuts off the ear, uh, which I don't think is a very good shot. I don't, I'm not ac- I don't know how accurate you are with a sword. I think ear is a weird... Maybe he was going for the ear, which is very impressive. Um, so he, he, he cuts off this ear and, and Jesus like heals that. And then Jesus sort of rebukes Peter on this. And, and listen to what he says to him when he does it, because it gives us a, a window into what Jesus thought about spiritual reality. Matthew 26, verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Now that's a weird response. What do you think? He's like, Peter, put the sword away. This is not the way we're going to do things. We're not, we're not doing this by violence and force. And really, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels. Now, I wonder if Peter was like, I don't believe in angels. Or, or, you know, or, like, or if he was like, there's no such thing as angels. That's, there's no empirical evidence for that, Lord. <laughs> or whatever. Like, how, how did he process that information? Because Jesus speaks about it very matter-of-factly. Like, duh, I could just call angels. If, I really, if we want to go there, I can go there, and I'll bring 12 legions of angels. So who are angels in, in the spiritual world, in this map of the spiritual world? Um, angels are creatures created by God. They are uh, moral creatures who can obey or disobey. We, we know that some disobeyed God and fell away from him uh, and became demons, what we call demons. But they are um, creatures created by God. They're not 
pre-existent in, this, in the same way God is. Um, angels are not human. Despite what you've seen in the old Nicolas Cage movie, um, angels do not become humans and fall in love with uh, blonde women in Los Angeles. Um, this does not actually happen in, in the world. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 actually tells us that um, angels are ministering spirits sent to help those who are to inherit salvation. So angels are uh, in the spiritual world, and they are, are, they, they are sent to help us, to guide us, to guard us, to protect. Um, so angels are creatures. They are created. They are not human. Angels are powerful. Uh, in the book of Second Kings, you see a reference to an angel attacking the Assyrian army and destroying 185,000 soldiers. That's one angel did that work. Uh, in the book of Revelation... When the, when the earth is to be destroyed and this new thing is to be made, God sends seven angels to do the job. It'll just take seven to kind of wrap this whole thing up and, and, and start over. So uh, they're extremely uh, powerful, um, and there are a lot of them. Jesus says, uh, makes this reference to, don't you think, uh, if I wanted to, I could ask God to send me 12 legions. Well, a legion in the Roman army is between three and 6,000 soldiers. So if Jesus is talking about legions of angels and 12 of them, he's saying, if I wanted, I could get somewhere between 36 and 72,000 angels here right now. Now, that could be figurative, right? He could just be saying, I could get a lot. But it's likely also the case that there are a lot and that there's a lot that, 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 are, that are at work in, in the world um, and that... And, and, we, if we're going to take Jesus seriously, he understood there to be lots of them around. Um, there are also different kinds of angels. There seems to be this kind of angel hierarchy. Um, there's not a ton about this. There's a little bit. There's angels called cherubim and seraphim. They, they seem to be ones that are closest to God. I don't know if that makes them the most important, but they are near God in the throne room of God. You see this in Revelation, um, that there's these angels around God who are saying you're holy and, and that kind of thing. Um, there's also archangels who are very powerful, who, who seem to be the ones that get sent to earth. That's your Christmas story of, I'm, I'm Gabriel, I'm you know, Michael, these kind of things that you hear about. Uh, there's these archangels that come, um, and they seem to have a lot of power to do things. There's also Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, but they come much later in history as angels. Um, so, so I think when you get the picture of angels uh, in the spiritual world, you've got you basically have, there are these ministering spirits for good, um, and then there are demons on the other side, and then God is over all, and then Satan has some rule um, as well, at least for the time being. That is the overall map of the, the spiritual world and, and what's going on out there. Now, let's just talk about some implications of that. Let me take you back to Ephesians 6. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Now that we've talked about who those spiritual forces are, this is what Paul is getting at. There's more going on here than what we think is just going on. There is a wrestling. There is a struggle that we are in. 
And I don't know if you realize you signed up for that when you became a follower of Jesus, but we signed up for a struggle. We're in one anyway, but we're acknowledging it and saying this is what's really going on. I know there's scriptures that say that Jesus brings you peace and that you can have the peace that transpasses all understanding and ease your anxiety and, and that Jesus says his yoke is easy and all of these things, and all of that is true. Jesus also says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He also says that you will be persecuted. He also said you will be hated for his sake. So it's not all peace and calm and goodness and kindness and all of that. Um, there's going to be struggle. So let me ask you this. When was the last time your faith was a struggle? And I don't mean it's a struggle just to believe. Oh, man, it was a struggle to have faith. I get that. We all go through periods of that. I mean, when was the last time you wrestled with this thing and you, and, you, and you recognized, I'm fighting spiritual forces about this thing right now, and I need to pray, and, it need, and it's going to be a wrestling match with God and, 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 and calling God to go to work against evil forces? When, when, when did you last recognize that you're in that kind of struggle, that... Um, that our struggle is not just flesh and blood? Do you think the fear that you feel, the anxiety that we feel this year, do you think that's entirely driven by a virus and the media? Or is it possible there are spiritual forces behind these things that lead to the violence in the streets? Because unless we recognize the spiritual forces, we will never start dealing with it at its root. The spiritual world is real, and that means that our solutions have to be spiritual ones. This is why we, tell, we talk about in the church, hey, pray, pray. This is why a couple times this year we've said as a church, hey, let's fast. Let's focus on God. Let's, let's read the scriptures. Why we've been going through Core 52 all year, like, hey, let's read the scripture together each day. Let's do this thing because all of our struggles are not physical ones. It's not just eat better, you know, eat well and exercise and all of your problems in life go away. That's just one aspect of things. There's a whole wide world out there, the spiritual realm, and this is why we pray. This is why we gather together in groups. This is why we we do small groups and other things where we come together and say, like, hey, how are you doing? And and we pray for one another. This is why we worship together as a church. It's why we do these things, why we serve, because uh, we're acknowledging that there's a spiritual reality here going on. Um, So, so let me challenge you with, and just leave you with that. Let, let's pray. Let's, let's focus in on what's really going on in the world. Um, and let's fill our minds with the truth of Scripture uh, because our struggles are not just against flesh and blood. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, the spiritual world. I thank you for angels that protect us, that uh, minister to us when we are in need. Um, God, I pray that your angels um, surround this church and, and work in this community to build people up, to strengthen us, to uh, help us to um, speak up and, and reach out. God, I, I pray that uh, evil forces that have been existent in Richmond for a long time, that, that they will be fought back uh, with your power and that um, your, your work will be done here through your people. Uh, God, the acknowledgement of a spiritual reality, the fact that we pray to you, that we fast, that we read, that we, that we, that we dive into your word, that we get to know Jesus, all of that is, is off track of the rest of culture, which is so empirical on everything and so naturalistic. I, but I pray, God, this is an area where we stay off track 
and we, uh, we, we get on a different path altogether following after you. Uh, thank you, Lord, for how you have protected this church in the last 12 years, uh, and I pray you continue to bring your protection and guidance for us uh, in the years to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.